Hello, and welcome to another Cheeky Scientist Radio. I'm your host, Isaiah Henkel, and today we will be talking with Yara Pujal on careers in clinical research. As always, if you want to learn more about transitioning into an industry career, go to phdsgethired.com and put your name and email address on the page, and you'll get free information on our blueprint specifically for PhDs who want to transition into industry, and you'll learn how to get access to our PhDs only job referral network. There are over 4,000 PhDs in this network now, and you can get access to it again by going to phdsgethired.com. If you want to get our blog articles and these podcasts sent to you free every week, just go to cheekyscientist.com and sign up on our homepage. And finally, if you want to listen to all of our podcasts, go to iTunes. You can find us just by searching Cheeky Scientist Radio and subscribe to our iTunes page. So once again today, we will be talking with Yara Pujal on careers in clinical research starting now. Very excited today to have on Yara, and it's Yara Lopez, correct? Pujol Lopez, yes. Pujol Lopez, that's right. Yara Pujol Lopez. Pretty good, right? Um, So Yara uh, obtained her bachelor's degree in biology in 2008 with a specialization in sanitary biology at the University of Barcelona. University of, there's a word that I can't quite say, but Barcelona in Spain. Autonoma of Barcelona, yeah, one of the universities. Perfect. Thank you. Um, In her hometown, she conducted her final internship in the Center of Human Reproduction uh, Biogest, also in Spain, under the supervision of Carolina Matas. Uh, Then she started her master's in human reproduction um, in Madrid, conducting her final internship in the Center of Infertility and Human Reproduction um, in in Barcelona, Spain at the CIRH. Uh, Her next step took her to the academic world, uh, from the academic world to San Francisco in the U.S., um, mostly to improve your English, you say, right? (laughs) Good place to do it. and from there, she rejoined the academic world and moved to Munich, Germany. Um, in 2011, she began her PhD at the Clinic of Psychiatry and Psychotherapy at the Ludwig Maximilis, Maximilians. Maximilian, yeah. Maximilian's uh, University, so LMU. That makes it easier. Um, <laughs> under the supervision of Dr. A. Mu Miant. Miant. Good practice for me. In 2013, <laughs> uh, she moved to the Netherlands to con- continue her PhD at the School of Mental Health uh, and Neurosciences, um, Maastricht University. Yeah. So you nailed it. Under the supervision of Professor Henry Steinbusch um, and several other professors. Uh, during these years, she investigated the developmental and psychoneuroimmunological mechanisms in depression. In 2015, got your PhD, of course, and then 2016, began to work as a clinical research associate in the CRO MedPace medical device in uh, Vals, the Netherlands, uh, in the Netherlands, right? Yeah. So great. And now, now you've been transferred uh, to the, your same company, but in Munich, where you are mm-hmm. working currently. Yes. Yes. Welcome, Yara. Thank you. That was uh, a great background. It's I like it because you... We're in academia, left, went back, now you're in industry. And I think it's important to show that you're able to cross those barriers much easier today than you were 20 years ago. Um, so it's great to have you on with your experience. Thank you for joining us. And we have a look at everybody's welcoming you. So thanks, everybody, for welcoming Yara. So we're going to jump in with a question that we always start with is, mm-hmm. why did you want to transition? So you did all this time in academia. You went back to academia. 
what was your what was your reason why you were going into industry? Well, I had a quite I would say complicated PhD. Probably everyone feels the same, <laughs> but in my case, um, yeah, I began it in a foreign country, so not in my country. My idea actually was to stay in Germany, finish the PhD in Germany, but then plans change. And um, my supervisor got her PhD in the Netherlands in Maastricht. So she wanted me to go there for some experiments because the lab was better equipment equipped there. So I, without having that in my mind, um, yeah, I need to move the country then, go to the Netherlands. I... In the middle of the story, she retired, so I need to change oh, wow. uh, supervisors. And uh, at some point, um, I was just having contracts of uh, two months, so I never knew what was going to happen next. <laughs> the thesis was still not finished, and yeah, at some point I got tired of that. Also. Um, if I wanted to continue in university, so the next step was to have or to do a postdoc. And I am not a really writing person, so I had really a hard time when I need to write the papers and the thesis. So I couldn't imagine like needed to yeah, write grants and like mm. continue <laughs> with that process of writing and writing to be able to do some practical work in the lab at the end. Mm. So yeah, the two things combined and the fact that um, at some point I just wanted to do something applicable, something that uh, I could see that would be useful and in benefit of someone in a mm. short period of time. <laughs> yes. So yeah, like was, your lifetime. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was clear that, um, yeah, that I didn't, I wanted to change. I didn't want to continue in, in the university. So this is good, and I don't think either of these topics have been brought up um, so directly before, but a lot of us have that desire to see our work be applied to something mm -hmm. in our lifetime or, like you said, even sooner, right, in the next you know, few years even. It would be nice to see that, that effect. And I think this is a, a reason that a lot of PhDs leave academia is because there's not that outlet in academia. Some, some institutions have... You know, I mean, there's tech transfer offices and some of them have, you know, attachments to spinoffs and companies, but it's not a very direct path. Um, so I think that's a reason that a lot of PhDs transition. I also like what you said about hating writing. It's almost one of these things we're not supposed to talk about. But I like writing, but I did not like writing papers and grants. So I'm <laughs> curious, for those of you on here, how many of you hate or mildly dislike writing papers and grants? Right, and, can, and just can't see yourself doing that for the rest of your life. I bet that's uh, not just you and me, right? So <laughs> hate, Felipe says, yes, hate, yes, dislike. I know, I can't stand it. Hate is a, hate my, for me is probably the perfect word, but maybe it's mildly, slowly raises hand, Ralph. All right, great. So, um, okay, so that's the reason why. So now I want to talk a little bit about the transition process. We have a lot of people on today who are interested in kind of the clinical side of things. Um, so maybe you can talk about how you got into the job that you're in right now. Like, what did the process look like? Was it standard? You networked, got a referral, phone screen. Maybe you can just walk us through it from A to Z. Yes. So, uh, yeah, it became the point that um, I was first done with the thesis. 
And then the question is, and now what next? Because you always are in university, so you always are supposed to have later on a postdoc and maybe become a scientist, etc. But then when you decide to break that path and go in another way, you don't know what's there outside. So that's the first thing that you need to figure out, like what can I do? Mm. Um, at that point, um, I had a colleague in Maastricht who was a member of the association. And then uh, she told me, oh, look, there is this association and um, they are helping me a lot. So maybe you could also join. Uh, so I did that. And then I began to work through the modules. And then I began to discover that there is a huge world outside academia, that there are a lot of different positions that you can get to. And then, um, yeah, I began to work in my LinkedIn profile. So just like following the modules and um also like being active in the Facebook group. And then I saw that um, my target would be like two or three different positions that I thought that I could, that would be a good profile with me. Mm. And then through these words that took maybe like three, four months, also I began to write people uh, working in these positions through LinkedIn to ask about their experience, about how they would um, suggest me to, to get to this kind of position, yeah, what was the story for them, etc. And people replied, I mean, it might take some time because people is busy, is working, etc. But you get a lot of information back that is very useful. Mm. And then at some point, one day, um, a recruiter contacted me <laughs> and then um, asked me if I was interested in... Uh, actually, the beginning was a project coordinator position in the company in MedPace. So um, I thought it could be a good uh, fit and uh, we began to talk. Um, but then in the meanwhile, this position was covered. So he told me, but they have also a CRA position available mm. if that would be in your interest. I was like, yeah, actually, I was targeted like CRA position, project coordinators and uh, product specialist positions at that point. And then uh, we had a, a phone call. Um, then he contacted me with the company. Um, I had a first uh, call with uh, Human Resources, HR. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted uh, to know a bit about my background, what I did before, um, and the languages that I could speak. That was a very important point. Because the company was located in the Netherlands, but they were having a lot of studies in Germany. Mm. So actually, it was better if you could speak German, uh, and Dutch was not really necessary. Oh. <laughs> yes, because it was also in the border. So. Ah, I see. And then um, I got invited to the interview with my supervisor, my future supervisor in the company. So I went there. I had the interview. Also, yeah, for them, it was very important, the fact that you have like a big background. So I began with uh, infertility, then I moved to neuroscience. So I did quite a lot of different stuff. Mm. And uh, that's important because as clinical research associate, you have different projects. You can have oncology, you can have cardiology, you can have ophthalmology, (laughs) like... um, everything basically that's a good point well let me just jump in for those of you listening i think you know and and as phds we get used to focusing on a very 
narrow field and we think, oh, I'm in chemical engineering or oh, I'm in immunology. I got to find something exactly for that. But a lot of positions, uh, especially clinical associates, they're looking for you to be able to yeah. learn multiple scientific positions. So you almost want to leverage the fact that you can learn anything. And we talk about PhDs being doctors of learning. So just highlight the fact that you have experience with multiple disciplines and can learn any discipline quickly. Um, that was an make important them. point for them, mm -hmm. yeah. And then after that, um, I had like a last interview with HR again, because actually my supervisor, she didn't or she doesn't speak German, but it was necessary for my position and the HR person could speak German. Mm. <laughs> so she was kind of evaluating uh, my level. And then I got the, the offer. So that was the, the process. And then, yeah, I began to work in the office in the Netherlands. And after some time, um, I wanted to change to Munich because, yeah, personal reasons. And I was also living here before. Um, I And I did the change quite fast. It, uh, I began in April in the company. And at the end of January, I was already in Munich. So that's great. Um, so that definitely is from A to Z, and I want to jump in on a couple of key points. So in terms of the interviews, you did a phone screen first with the recruiter. Yeah. And then you did, and what was that like? Was it um, kind of just more transferable-based questions, or did since it was a recruiter, did they focus more on the technical side? Let me think. Um, actually, um, what he really wanted to know if I was really interested in the position, that was a very important mm. point for him. And um, also, yeah, my level of language. I mean, he couldn't also speak uh, German, yeah. but uh, he, from the beginning, put that as a point, a very important point. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the language here was a definitely unique thing for this position. Mm. Um, but I like what you said about him gauging your interest and this is something that comes up a lot and i think as phds yeah. we always think well i don't want to come on too strong i don't want to be too interested or too enthusiastic but that's actually wrong you want to be very enthusiastic for the position because they're looking for people who are interested especially as a phd they don't want you to they don't want to think that you're going to go back into academia or you're no no they the want you 100 percent there and um yes also need to have uh, good questions prepared for them that uh, they show that you are engaged that that, that you want that position mm. and so then you had the phone screen and then you went directly to was it a site visit where you met the director or no then i had the phone uh, call with hr okay that was also phone and then i got invited to the company to have the interview with my line manager and was it just just the one interview or did you have multiple? Just one interview with my land manager and uh, another uh, colleague that okay. was working in the same position. Mm. And then after that, uh, I had again a call with HR and that was. So was a, a phone screen afterwards too, yeah. essentially. Okay. And that's good to know because again, we see real variety there in terms of Yes. Phone screens, sometimes before and after, sometimes uh, site visits with just a couple of people, like you said, and sometimes many. Um, was there any unique challenges that were kind of associated with you or something that you would say was different for getting into a clinical associate job? Like, was there certain uh, different types of questions or different types of considerations versus other positions? Well, they pointed very 
strongly in the interview that um, they needed someone flexible, they needed someone that is able to travel, then they need someone who can communicate very good with several people and different people um, mm. and someone really good organized and with mm. uh, very good time management skills. Those are very key. So all transferable skills. For this right. position, yeah. Yeah, and I think, uh, again, we, we always we always hear that for those of you listening, right? The transferable skills are key and they, they're always simple. Communication skills, organizational skills, right? Uh, flexibility, versatility. We don't think that flexibility and versatility is a skill, but it is. And those words are really powerful during interviews. So those three things are really important for you to highlight. Uh, don't just, don't get trapped thinking too complexly, right? Uh, it's not the complex no. stuff. It's really the simple stuff that they're looking for. Um, so now in terms of your role, I want to switch, switch gears a little bit and talk about what you do day to day. And then I want to kind of bridge the gap in terms of what the onboarding process look like, looks like for this role. Uh, but maybe you can just break it down and say, okay, a typical day or a typical week even looks like this. This is what I spend most of my time doing, meetings or flying or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> Days can be very, very different. But um, I think you can categorize like in two kinds of days. You have the days that you are in the office, which uh, maybe is two days a week, three days a week max, maybe sometimes one day a week, depending on the week. And then during this day, what you do is um, yeah, reply to all your emails, contact um, your hospitals, um, talk to them if they need something, if they have some question, um, prepare your traveling for the visits, um, write reports that um, you need to write after your visits. Um, you have called? training. What do you write Sorry? after your visits? What was it that you write after your visits? A report like uh, explaining uh, all what you did during the visit, which data you monitor, um, if uh, you could do some accountability of the investigational product or of the device, if you met uh, with uh, the principal investigator to talk about the study, like a kind of a summary, hmm. collecting all the info about why, what happened. Why is that documentation important? Because you need, uh, when, there is some doubt or you need to go back. The first thing that you check is the report, what happened during that visit. Mm. And also this report goes then to the sponsor. That's also how the sponsor knows what's going on, if uh, the centers, the hospitals are doing good or not, if they have enough patients, if, yeah. So who would, who would a sponsor be as an example, like a company? A company, like a pharma company or a medical device company, yes. And so maybe we can talk a little bit about the framework in this industry. So you have sponsors who are companies and they're sponsors of hospitals in what way? No, you have normally in like at least now in my studies, you have the sponsor like the pharma companies or the medical device companies that they have a new drug or a new medical device and they need to do some clinical studies to be able to sell it in the market. Then you have several hospitals uh, where these clinical trials are being performed. So they are using this medical device or this uh, drug in patients. And you have several hospitals coming in the same country, in different countries. And then we have the us, the zero, which we are a bit like in the middle. We are like bridging both sides. 
we are in contact with a sponsor and we go to the sites, to the hospitals where the clinical trials are performed. Okay, perfect. And so a lot of your time is, you said, two days at the office, a lot of time traveling, going and talking to the hospitals. You'll also talk to the sponsors too, I'm assuming? That depends on the study. Normally that's going, the communication is through the project manager of the study or the clinical trial manager. But for example, in case of medical devices, the CRA has more contact with the sponsor. And then you'll you'll spend time writing reports after those meetings. What kind of stuff do you do internally? Do you have a lot of meetings on like strategic meetings or? We have also like internal meetings in the company. Um, Maybe when you get a new study, you need to be trained on that study, on that protocol. Uh, you have meetings uh, with the different uh, departments of the company, with uh, the regulatory department, in case uh, some submission needs to do, be done to the ethics committee, uh, with the safety group, in case uh, something happened and needs to be follow up, um, with other CRAs, also with the project manager. There is like a lot of people involved. So your agenda is quite nicely full with meetings when you're in the office. Lots of meetings, yeah. So, so, but you bring up some good departments, uh, or at least some good insights in terms of the departments. Regulatory department, you interact with a lot. Safety department, you interact with a lot too. Are there any other departments you interact with frequently? Uh, I would say these are the two big departments in our case because then you have several project managers, but I wouldn't say they are a department. They are involved in the study like us, the CRAs and also project coordinators. Uh, data management, that will be also mm, another yeah. part, sadly. Sadly. <laughs> um, so data management, okay. And and what? why would you need to communicate with, I understand the regulatory and the safety, but why would you need to communicate with data management? Because sometimes um, they are not, um, I shouldn't say happy, but like the information that they get from the sites is not clear to them or not enough. So they need to ask back if this is correct or that was a mistake or, and then um, normally um, all of our work internally in the companies in English, but if they need uh, to go back to the site, um, it's better if it does comes from someone that speaks the same language. Hmm. And are you, is this, do you cover just Germany or are you flying all over Europe? <laughs> I cover Germany. Um, I have now some uh, hospitals in Austria because, yeah, same language. Also, German CRAs normally go to Switzerland as well. And I have been also monitoring in Spain. Hmm. So, so quite so so broadly, and you're on the road about three days a week, is what you're saying. Yeah. And was there, what's the equivalent for this position in other countries? Is it this, is it a, more of a liaison type position? Um, it's a it seems like a liaison type of position where you're like you said you're the bridge between the hospitals and the clients, and then your company and maybe the sponsor too. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, to my knowledge, um, it's not much different. I mean, probably depends on the company or depends mm. yeah, on the type of study or how big is the sponsor. I mean, it can be different, but um, I have contact also with uh, my colleagues in Spain, for example. But yeah, they work for the same company. So normally it goes the same way. And what do you, where do you go from here? Let's say you're the best in this position, right? Your company's ever seen. Uh, 
would they, is there like a management track or would you go in, would you move laterally to a different type of uh, position altogether? There is a lot of different movements that you can take from here. I think the CRA position is very good to have it and it's a very basic working clinical trials and you know what happens when you go to the site and that makes you understand a lot of things that if you have not been a CRA, could never imagine or um, I have seen things that you say, no, that, that cannot happen. If you tell me that from outside, I wouldn't believe it. But I have been there. I know these things happen. <laughs> and yes. then it helps you later on. So normally you begin with an entry level of CRA and then with experience and years, then you can be promoted to the different levels until senior CRA. That will be the highest position. Then from there, you can stage as a senior CRA. Um, another option in our company will be CRA manager. So mm. you are like uh, the manager of several CRAs. Mm. Another um, option is to become project manager or clinical trial manager. That's also an option. And then some people just change to regulatory or to safety. Mm. Like you have a lot of... Uh, so you can move vertically and laterally as well. Yes. Very easily. And then actually there is some people that just leave the CRO and then becomes project manager in the sponsor company. Mm. That's also a possibility. Oh, so they move over to like the pharmaceutical yeah. companies. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. So lots of options. And we see this with any type of these liaison positions because you get to interact with so many groups of people. Really. So you're, exactly. you build your network so quickly, right? Um couple of questions that came in that are good, um, and I wanted to circle back to onboarding anyway. So after you get hired, what does the training process look like, right? How long did it take you to get comfortable with these kind of monitoring activities and so forth? Maybe you can walk us through, okay, you got hired. What happened next all the way until now in general? Yeah, that also depends in the company that you will be working for. In our company, they have a very nice training. so. Yeah, I didn't have any experience in clinical studies. I was just doing PhDs, so basic research. And then um, you begin to have a training that is um, thought to be done between three and six months. You begin um, to have um, access like to fake protocols, let's say. Mm. And then uh, when you monitor, you have like four different kind of visits that you can perform when you go to a hospital, you can do a qualification visit to see if that hospital would be a good candidate for your study, if they have the adequate patients that you need. You have an initiation visit, that's when um, all the, um, uh, when the hospital has been approved to work in that study. What's that one called? Initiation visit. Initiation. Then you go there and then you explain them about everything, about the protocol, about uh, how they need to perform the study. You train them and then they can begin to recruit patients. Then you have the monitoring visit when you go and then you monitor the data. Okay. And then you have the closeout visit and that's the last visit is when the study is finished. And then you just need to go to, yeah, get all the logs. Debrief. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So in the training, you get um, training in these four visits and you have like four mock visits. So like 
when you go to the site, when you go to the center, what do you need to do? They give you data that you need to monitor and then you need to find the mistakes or the, the things that are not logical. Then um, you have like a CRA mentor and then uh, you go with uh, his, him or her like for four to six visits, also to several studies, different hospitals. So you get a good feeling what mm. would be your work. And then once you are done with training, um, then you will begin to get slowly projects and then you go by yourself. So one thing I want to call out here, everybody's attention to is we don't talk a lot about the onboarding process and the association, but three to six months, very common, right? Especially six months is very common for getting onto a new company in terms of the onboarding. So you'll go through this training process they're, when they hire you, they want you to have experience and be able to hit the ground running, but they're always going to train you in their internal processes, especially um, with anything, I mean, clinical or from a large company. Yeah, you need to read like the whole amount of SOPs that uh, yeah. the company has. Yeah. Some go, <laughs> SOPs, training, um, and then in this case, use cases, uh, case studies, essentially, where you're, you're mock visits. Uh, so that's that's really informative. Thank you for that. This takes us to the end of this Cheeky Scientist radio podcast episode that you have been listening to. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a review and let us know what you would like to hear more of. If you're interested in transitioning into industry, go to phdsgethired.com and enter your name and email address, and we will give you information about our PhD job search blueprint, specifically for PhDs who want to transition into industry, as well as our PhD-only 4,000-plus member private job referral network. Again, go to phdsgethired.com and enter your name and email address now. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional.